Hey, Good Enough listeners, I'm Andrea Burke, your local Good Enough podcast host, and I'm so excited to welcome you to season three of Good Enough. Psalm 9012 says, So teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. The topics surrounding death and grief, while they may be heavy and somber, are really important conversations we need to be having as believers. And so my hope in this season of Good Enough is to help you, and really me, number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. You'll hear stories from people who have faced tragic loss, suffering, unimaginable pain, grief, and they were willing to sit down with me to talk about what these experiences looked like for them and how the grace of God and the goodness of Jesus met them in their pain, in their ministry, in their work, and in their stories. This season, you'll hear from widows, parents who have lost children, those facing a terminal illness, pastors, doctors, hospice nurse, and more. I really hope you'll join me for this season as we peel back the layers on the reality that we all face. Mortality is a part of our life. So let's sit together and ask God to teach us to number our days so that we can gain some wisdom. This is season three of Good Enough. Today, I'm really honored to share this particular story with you. Dan and Yaroslava Quirk are members of my home church, Grace Road Church in Rochester. And a few years ago, they lost their daughter, Eleanor, when Slava was 37 weeks pregnant. I remember the day this happened, and they haven't really shared their story in a format like this yet. Um, I love this family and this couple, and everyone who knows them loves Jesus more because of the kind of people they are. So I pray that you are also encouraged today as you listen to their story and reminded of God's faithfulness in this story. It was... A, you're going to fill in all my details here, but it was a, uh, a Sunday night. We were, I guess, getting ready for bed, and Slava was 37 and a half weeks pregnant or 38 weeks pregnant uh, with Eleanor. And <clears throat> she started feeling, well, I think she had been feeling this kind of throughout the day. Um, but she wasn't sure if they were like real contractions or just Braxton Hicks contractions. And it started to get serious to the point of like, okay, is this, you know, is this getting ready to be time to have the baby? And um, we had, I think it was Wednesday before, before that Sunday, we had just gone to the midwife appointment and uh, they said, you know, heartbeat was fine and everything seemed to be everything seemed to be great according to the midwives um, in terms of heartbeat I think we listened to the Doppler and like just going as expected and then you know fast forward back to this Sunday I, I went to sleep I think it was around 10 30 and then the next thing I know Slava was waking me up around a little after 12 and it seemed to be getting a little bit more intense, a little more uncomfortable, and she wanted to call the midwife. So we, uh, we called the midwife, whose name was Christina. She's a huge part of our story. Um, she, she asked a couple questions, and um, one, one of the questions that kind of got me a little concerned was, you know, when was the last time you felt 
a baby's heartbeat. Mm. Um, and I hadn't hadn't thought much about that uh, until that question, and so that, that kind of startled me. Um, and let's see. So she she asked a couple other questions. I forget forget what exactly. Um, but she said she would she would head on over. I think. Correct me here. <laughs> so she didn't ask about the heartbeat. She asked about the baby's movements. There you go. Mm -hmm. um, and I still wasn't concerned because with both our first and with Eleanor, I have this whole like 12 hour day before I go into labor where my stomach is just really hard with a Braxton Hicks contraction, um, just nonstop. And so my stomach had been hard all day. Um, and then in the evening, I started to feel potential contractions. And then when I woke him up, I was at the point that I was already pushing with our first. Mm -hmm. And so when he called and she asked about the baby's movements, I just kind of, that didn't bother me at all because with both pregnancies, I just had a Braxton Hicks contraction all day. And, or at least that's what it felt like. And so at that point, I just laid down and felt very uncomfortable. Um, and it was the nighttime and I learned that I prefer to give birth during the day. So I wasn't thrilled about that, but there was just this anticipation of, we're gonna welcome this baby and nothing seemed to stand out. The Thursday before, uh, there was a lot of movement in my stomach, but again, not more than our first. And so we just kind of thought it was funny to see this baby looking like it was riding a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And then when Christina arrived, she checked for the baby's heartbeat with the Doppler, which they never had time to do with their first because I just have babies that fly out of me. And at that point, uh, we realized that there was no heartbeat. And she calmly suggested we go to the hospital. We went to the hospital and uh, temporarily checked in to get an ultrasound and then checked in to stay because it still showed no baby's movements. Yeah, she, uh, Christina was very good about like saying, you know, there's still a chance there's, um, you know, the hospital has better equipment than I do. And so there's, there's a chance there could be a heartbeat that I can't find, but I don't want to give you a false hope. So she was very like uh, honest about about what was ahead and, and didn't create the sense of like, there's there's still a chance. She she kind of laid it out that it was bleak. Um, and so, you know, we're driving over to the hospital and I think both of us were kind of in agreement, like, Lord, we, we need your help. You know, we don't want to be bitter towards you because we kind of know where this is headed and um, you know, we're, this is going to be hard, but we don't want to turn our backs on you. Um, 
I'm going to brag on him and say that he was actually the one to suggest that we pray on the way to the hospital uh, as we are getting our coats on. And I remember thinking right away when there wasn't a heartbeat, just with the Doppler, that no heartbeat meant no life. And he said on the way to the hospital, let's pray specifically for um, God to help us not to be bitter against him and not to be angry against him. And I think that that specific prayer was very pivotal uh, in the whole journey. And I think it was gracious of God to not only give us that, but also I think that neither of us can say that we were angry or bitter about any part of the experience or even like towards others that uh, announced pregnancies and things like that. And I think that that was a gift because I even expected to be angry uh, or bitter or have some kind of negative feelings towards hearing friends announce pregnancies and, and that just didn't happen. Yeah, I think we, uh, I think we also pray that God would revive Eleanor. Um, and that was kind of like a last ditch effort. Like we don't want to go through this you know, we don't, yeah. we're hoping this isn't our reality for, for the next lifetime. Um, so we, we got to the hospital. You, you said we already, the, the second ultrasound or the first ultrasound at the hospital kind of confirmed, confirmed the fears that we <clears throat> had lost our child. And uh, well, that was tough. And I think I, I called my mom and she had some, some uh, comforting words throughout throughout the morning for us like you know our goal as as parents is to raise kids in the knowledge of the Lord and and kind of do our best to to deliver them to him and she's like you know you already accomplished that with with Eleanor even though we we didn't do a thing um in terms of like teaching and instructing and guiding but uh you know so that that was comforting um we actually, for all of our kids, during the pregnancy we specifically, and during their lives, for the ones who lived, we specifically pray and ask God to help our children to know him from a young age and to be faithful to him throughout their lives. And the way his mom phrased what she said was that our prayer even is for our children to know the Lord. And we never shared with her that we prayed that specific prayer about our kids. So for her to use the exact words that we pray was, um, I think it was very surprising even to us because that's exactly what happened. Um, Eleanor knows the Lord from a very young age and will obviously re remain faithful to him her whole life. And I mean, that's not a guarantee by any means, just because we pray it and we're very well aware of that. But at the same time, 
I think that that was kind of a, a beautiful part of his mom saying that. Where does that leave us? Uh, oh, yeah, that was that was one weird thing for me. Is you know we're we're in the hospital, we we know that we lost the baby, but we're still here. Like, why are we in this hospital? We've lost the baby. There's no reason to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know we we haven't delivered this baby yet. Like, it's still a physical thing. Even though like spiritually this child is passed on, there's still a like a physical body there that. And, and that was uh, a very long, long day. Um, so that was, I think we got into the hospital at like 2, 1.30 or 2 1.30 on Monday morning. We didn't end up leaving until 3 a.m. on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So two nights and a day, basically. Yeah. They also didn't believe I was in active labor. So as everything was happening uh, and we told them that I was in active labor, they just kept saying, oh, we're just going to give you this pill to start your labor. And then Pitocin, once labor starts and you're dilating. Mm. And then in the morning or later in the morning, I guess, they checked me and were very surprised to say that I could be giving birth any moment. And then they actually suggested that I have an epidural, but because I was unfamiliar with the physical feelings of having an epidural and giving birth and had given birth before without that, I couldn't feel a thing. And so the labor continued. And anytime I felt anything, they would turn me and again, I wouldn't feel anything. So Eleanor was just kind of hanging out, ready to come out mm. for that many hours. Oh my gosh. And then, yeah, throughout that day, all the hospital staff came in and out and in and out and um, his parents came food, and I couldn't handle anything in me and just kept vomiting so that was exciting and then sitting next to you and um, just feeling kind of lost kind of like what what's going on here you know I want to get out of here because I want to like really grieve and I want to kind of pour out my heart somewhere and I can't do that here. I, f- I feel like being watched or something here, but um, I remember throughout the, throughout the day, I was like looking up, trying to look up scripture, like, Lord, what, what's going on here? What, you know, why is this happening? And I, I found Psalm 34, 18, which says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I'd never experienced this uh, kind of dual dual presence of pain and God's presence, like at the same time. I've never never experienced that before, like I did after reading that scripture, that like God was there despite the pain. And 
it was comforting. It was, um, it was hard, but it was it like to know that that the God of the universe has your back was like, okay, we we can get through this. Mm. Well, it's going to be hard, and it is already hard. Um, so that that was awesome. And then then we our midwife was there, and she was so supportive, and she prayed with us constantly. You know, she didn't have to be there financially. I don't even think we didn't even know this, but she was uh, she was just kind of there out of out of her own heart, and they weren't. They were going to refund us for for whatever we paid them, and we didn't know that. Mm-hmm. We thought we were kind of like paying her to be there, but she totally, mm-hmm. totally wasn't being paid. And so that blew us away. We found that out after the fact, and it blew us away. Um, but we just shared like uh, a lot in common of like books that we've read of missionaries, and mm-hmm. she she encouraged me a lot by I think her. I hope I'm getting this right. I think she came from a family who had like five miscarriages in a row and you know at the time i'm thinking to myself like we're done there's no way we're ever having kids again this is too hard and too risky to ever like take this chance again um and to hear her her story of her parents had five and five miscarriages in a row and then had her little brother i think mm-hmm. uh, and it was like, wow, so this, you know, there is hope for like, even though there's pain now, there's hope for future kids. And obviously, you know, you don't, in the, in the midst of tragedy, don't, don't make decisions right away, but just knowing like, okay, this isn't the end of our, of our growing family was, mm-hmm. was a huge comfort for me. Mm-hmm. When we first started letting people know that Eleanor had passed, uh, my mom still didn't know. She lived with us at this at this point. So I had run into her room and woke her up and just made sure that she knew she was going to be home with our oldest. And she was just sleeping. And so it didn't hit her that we were supposed to be at home doing the home birth, but we were heading to the hospital. And so when I called her from the hospital, she was still kind of groggy, I guess, and said, and I said, um, mom, uh, my, or the baby died. Mom, the baby died. I said in Ukrainian. Um, so that's why I struggled <laughs> to, to say it in English just now, apparently. Um, and the way she responded was like, what are you talking about? Or what are you saying? Um, and almost in a way of, I am saying some kind of inappropriate joke. Mm -hmm. And obviously that would have been very inappropriate if I was giving birth, but I told her my baby had died. Um, But I repeated myself and I remember in that moment, just kind of feeling very, I was obviously in shock, but just kind of numb. And yes, I was sad and yes, there were tears, but at the same time, it just felt almost like an out of body experience to tell your mother that you just left home to not give birth, well, not give birth to a live baby. Mm -hmm. And so she was quite taken back. And uh, that day ended up um, setting everything up for Olis, thankfully. And that was one of 
the neat things that it felt like God was already putting into place many months before. Uh, she didn't live with us always and ended up living with us. And it was just such a neat experience because we didn't have to worry about calling or getting babysitters or doing anything. And she took care of all that. And she knew where our stuff was when our midwife stopped by the house to pick more things because we're going to stay there for longer. And so just little details like that almost felt like God had planned how we were going to grieve ahead of time. And that was seemingly small details, but very, very helpful. Yeah, and especially, uh, you know, kind of, not especially, but going back to the hospital, we uh, we were crushed by how many decisions we had to make. Mm. Just all these things being thrown at us of like, do you want pictures? Do you want a cremation? Do you want a, a burial? Do you want a service? Do you want, you know, to be a part of these groups that, you know, help deal with loss? And it's like, is this really happening? We have to make these decisions what to do with our child like right now and we're still you know it's still in shock and that was that was like annoying like, you know i'm still thinking to myself i just want to get out of here and grieve yeah. and we, we got to make these choices that are like I, I think we we've made choices and i think you've had regrets about some of them like uh we, we chose to cremate and i think she wanted to do a burial uh, Slava wanted to do a burial, but a part of that was we had talked about what we would do when it came to us, right. and even a few weeks prior to us losing Eleanor, ironically, we talked about what we would do if a child passed away. But it was one of those conversations that were not lighthearted, but very just almost like factual and. We ended up not arriving at a decision. Mm -hmm. And so in the moment, and we had even talked about like, what do we think of this biblically? What it, what do we think that God would even want us to do in in all of these details? And what how do we think that we would grieve best with all of these options? And ironically, we didn't decide, and then we were forced to decide. And at the time, because it felt like there were so many decisions that we weren't prepared to make, it was incredibly overwhelming. And that decision, the easiest decision out of the options that we had uh, for Eleanor's body was to have the hospital cremate. Because mm -hmm. if it was even a cremation by the nurse, uh, not nursing home, um, by the funeral home, then we still had to contact the funeral home and discuss all of the details. And then do we have a ceremony of some sort? Um, and obviously for a burial, you do the same thing and pick out a casket and you want to bury. And with the hospital, they have a specific garden and a local cemetery and they do everything. And so we chose the easiest option, but eventually, when we thought about it more and more, I remember coming to this conclusion of, I wish that 
I had thought about it more before, not that you want to, but I personally wouldn't have chosen to cremate by the hospital. And I kind of regret that, I guess. Not so much so that I stay up thinking about it and dwell on it very much, but if somehow we could go back, I would choose a burial. Um, <laughs> yes. No. Uh, just because I think that that helps more with closure. And I think that it, it also felt partly like there wasn't as much closure for uh, family and friends even because there were a few family members that stopped by and a friend, but everybody else saw me very pregnant, ready to give birth. Everything was great and everybody was healthy. And then suddenly our daughter passed away. And often we would go everywhere we normally went and people would say, oh, it looks like you've already given birth. Yep. And we don't have her. She's actually in heaven. And that conversation happened hundreds of times. <laughs> and people obviously meant well. You're excited when you see someone's already had their baby. And I I would do the same thing probably now even if the same thing happened to someone else. But at the same time, um, that meant a lot of shock in their end. And it meant a lot of trying to process through it. And so sometimes it ended up mm. awkward and just really sad. And then we're telling people and we're, we're more okay at this point, but people are suddenly sobbing and we're asking if they're okay because they just found out our baby died and that's traumatic. And, and then there's like a hundred other questions like, how are you guys doing? Well, we're, we're good. Are you okay? Are you going to be okay? Um, do you have to drive after this? Um, and so it's a weird balance because, I mean, we tried to tell people uh, we weren't hiding at all. Um, we even tried to tell everybody close to us fairly quickly so then we could post to social media so that people knew, but some people aren't on social media every day. I, and just little details like that ended up kind of surprising people. Yeah, our poor neighbor. He he got flowers delivered to his house, the next door neighbor. Oh, and he brings them over and he's got this big smile, like congratulations, these oh, wow. flowers went to my house instead of yours. He's, and it was just like, oh yeah, we lost the baby and his face just dropped like a ghost. And then, then it's like, you gotta go into comfort mode because you know we know it's gonna be okay, but you know, there's kind of a fire to put out in there. <laughs> in wow. there. So. I, I, oh, I can still see his face, but yeah, that's that poor guy. Yeah, that happened often, uh, unfortunately. And I think with the burial, um, at least with maybe church family and whoever found out about it through word of mouth or whatever, would come and would see whether, even if it's not an open casket, but just see that um, mm. her baby died and obviously I gave birth but she's no longer with us and at the time I remember 
when my sister came to take pictures, I desperately wish that our oldest was with us. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, she had fallen asleep already for the night and had been asleep for a couple of hours. And so in the moment I felt bad about waking her. And eventually I remember thinking, why didn't I just wake her? Obviously this is a once in a lifetime opportunity and she sees me pregnant and then she sees me not pregnant. And to a little kid that just, that's hard to understand. And so we showed her pictures and she from the very beginning um, talked and talks now about how Eleanor's in heaven. And uh, if we ever say, if we ever number our kids, if we're like walking inside from being outdoors and I say, all right, number one, get in, number two, get in. And she always corrects us okay. and says, no, I'm actually number one and he's number three and number two isn't here. She's obviously in heaven. Well, true. <laughs> <I know> you. <laughs> so how old was she when this happened? So she was 20 months old, but somehow she talked a lot. And so <laughs> in regards to Christina and her family's loss, it was really neat and a great picture of how the body of Christ comes together mm. and can be extremely supportive in that kind of time. When she told her family about us losing Eleanor at the time, her family immediately started praying and it was so neat even thinking that these believers who we've never personally met were already that morning praying for mm -hmm. us and able to pray from a place of a deep empathy mm -hmm. and, and even with her little brother. And, and so that was a, a neat thing. And even thinking how our entire community came together and started praying and that was just really encouraging and would send us bible verses and prayers that they had been praying and yeah, yeah. and i think christina actually suggested for the hospital staff to eventually break your water um, mm. she had she had to ask us because she technically wasn't right. employed by a hospital. So she suggested it to us. And anytime throughout the day, I would get antsy or nothing was really happening. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we were having great conversations, but I was also in active labor. Mm -hmm. And and my legs were very uncomfortable and I just felt super numb. And mm -hmm. so I just wanted to get out of there. So she was great with suggesting things like, why don't you suggest for them to break your water like they had suggested they would do five hours ago or however long. Uh -huh. And and then it was kind of like that throughout the day mm -hmm. to the point that that evening she had said, well, you're kind of fancy. If you want, uh, you can try to push and not to be too graphic, but Dan had to hold my leg because I couldn't feel anything yeah. enough to lift it. 
And I remember thinking, I feel like I just took a deep breath and I didn't even push, but I feel something. And I said that to her and she said, well, why don't you do that again? And so I did that again. And then said, I definitely feel Eleanor's body coming out. Mm -hmm. And then she told me to stop. And so what time was this? This this is like after 9 p.m. And said, I wouldn't normally tell you this, but since you can't feel anything, we'll we'll actually get the doctors. (laughs) And so the doctors flew in with the nurse midwife that was employed by the hospital who was our favorite nurse by far mm-hmm. um, because she actually used Christina. And when mm-hmm. she found out she was a midwife, she kind of put her to work. And so it felt like we were partly getting the home birth experience mm-hmm. or at least exp- going through this whole experience, even that part of it with mm-hmm. someone we know and trust. Mm. Yeah, and that's where it got the hardest for me was, uh, you know, seeing once the legs started to come out, I think it was, I think it was right after like the kind of the, the torso came out, the, I just saw the body just kind of limp and it was, oh, that was hard. Um, just that, the, resi- the realization setting in that, you know, this is official. This is um, a lost child, and that was that was really hard. Um, and <clears throat> you know, even even in that, I think throughout the day we probably heard three or four, you know, like women screaming in the background as they're mm-hmm. they're giving birth. And then you hear the baby crying afterwards and like there was no bitterness and and so there was no jealousy and i think that was just the lord kind of immediately like answering that that prayer that we asked and uh like we were in a in a way happy for them like it's not we didn't want you know what we were experiencing on them and um you know i don't know if you you felt that at all but i never never felt like alone in our struggles maybe it was just knowing like other people that have experienced this or or having you there with me or just knowing the lord was there but um yeah so so devastating but but hopeful again Mm. yeah for two of the births that he had mentioned we have just happened to lock eyes and had genuine smiles on our faces. And even in those moments, it, it just felt like a different experience. It wasn't taking away from our grief or our sadness that we just found out that we wouldn't be taking our little girl home. Um, but it was just happiness and joy for others and even happiness and joy that they're not experiencing this. And it was, it felt like a direct answer or gift even um from the prayer that danny suggested to pray Hmm. so then what was after that we uh 
cried. Again, we're asked very small or questions that seemingly didn't have a lot of depth to them, but even even something as simple as like, do you want to wash her? Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want to put on clothes on her? Do you want to switch different outfits for her? Do you want to diaper her because you'll never diaper her again? Uh, we chose not to diaper her because I don't want to diaper if I don't have to. <laughs> and for me, that's not something I look forward to. I love my children, but. <laughs> and I think after that we took, or Martha took pictures. My sister came and took, she just kind of walked around the room as Eleanor's body was being passed around and uh, took pictures of my mom had arrived, my brother had arrived. Um, my family tends to flock. My other sister would have a also, but she was babysitting. Mm-hmm. And I think initially I really didn't want to do pictures. I mm-hmm. I thought, you know, this is going to be some idol that I hold on to. It's mm-hmm. be, like I constantly look at this whenever I'm sad to feel sorry for myself. And I don't want mm-hmm. to do that. I want to, I kind of want to move on quickly and get back to like regularly scheduled life. But Mm. um, I don't know what, maybe it was you that just felt like that was, it seemed like, you know, maybe this is the right thing to do. And I'm I'm really glad that we did just Mm. as a a better way to remember not, not just our child, our pain, but like even the Lord's faithfulness through through what happened so far so yeah yeah, i was just gonna say definitely if hopefully this never happens to anyone but if it does you know get a photographer and get Mm -hmm. a picture because we had friends who have gone through loss before uh at various stages one common theme seemed to be take pictures even if you think you'll never look at them Mm -hmm. and so I, rem- I just happened to remember that. And so we made sure that my sister was free and that she was even comfortable with coming. And she came and took beautiful pictures. Mm-hmm. And now we get to kind of remember mm-hmm. with more detail than we would have. They were beautiful pictures. I remember seeing them. They were... So well done. Um, I, like Eleanor is so beautiful. Even from an outsider's perspective, it was beautiful to see her. I, I remember talking to you then and telling you, I can see your features, both both of you in her. Like it was a beautiful thing to see her. And she initially had really great coloring and because she passed away so recently to when she and they had told us that they think no more than 48 hours before but they were guessing that it was actually closer to in the last 24 hours and so it was very close and then they had that cuddle cut thing um although I don't know how much it helped because her body was kind of passed around a lot Mm. but yeah, it was interesting because I remember being in so much pain with our first that 
when they handed her to me, I, I was like, oh, she's beautiful or cute or something, but can you please take her? I'm shaking right now. <laughs> and I mean, I got it back almost immediately after, but with Eleanor, I remember being very aware that we would never hold her body again. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, being okay with giving her body away because we did feel like it was just a shell at this point. And right away when they handed her to us, I think both of us just knew this wasn't our daughter. Mm. Uh, But at the same time, it looked exactly like our daughter Mm. and she had a lot of dark wavy hair and looked like a sleeping baby. And so Mm that part also made it very difficult to hand her away eventually. And Mm -hmm. I remember having this moment that initially I remember even thinking, oh, this is gonna sound so weird, but I'm gonna ask Christina to just let me see all of her. I wanted to study every inch of her and studying her elbows, studying her legs, and then hoping eventually I could at least write it down or something and, that maybe it would help me remember her. And, mm-hmm. and I'm glad I did that, even though initially I thought it was weird for doing that. No, I think your memories of it have carried hmm. better legacy because you know, kind of dodge the details sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's why we got pictures. Now, I don't want to jump ahead in your story. So if I am, please just tell me. But um, what was it like coming home because I imagine then your milk comes in you still have like like your body doesn't know was that hard oh yes that was very difficult um but again it was one of those details that it felt like God wove into place Hmm. 20-ish months before that when I had our first breastfeeding was incredibly difficult for a solid three months. Hmm. And I remember at the time thinking I'm going to quit every single minute of every single day. And for some reason I didn't quit. So fast forward to Eleanor being born and me not having Eleanor to breastfeed. I was barely still breastfeeding our toddler and the toddler that I was going to quit with and I never did. And so that actually kept me from getting mastitis Mm -hmm. and getting incredibly engorged and all these things. Mm -hmm. And it kept so many of those potential things at bay. And again, it was just such a small detail Mm -hmm. seemingly, Mm -hmm. but made grieving so much better um, and so much easier. And even having to breastfeed my toddler was in no way replacing the infant that I wasn't holding. But at the same time, we kept hearing, we're so sorry that your arms are empty, but Mm -hmm. our arms are never empty. We had this toddler um, running around and every night Mm -hmm. I would still nurse her to bed and And so my arms were not empty and that was a huge for me because Mm -hmm. every night you would typically nurse a kid 
even if not necessarily to sleep, but mm, yeah. What, what did it look like as far as, and I know you mentioned this already a little bit, but after when, when you're home, do you feel like you were well cared for or maybe is there anything looking back that you think, gosh, I wish people hadn't done X, Y, Z, or we didn't know how to communicate what we needed or even I'm curious. And I guess this is probably a second question. Um, but do you feel that like Slava, did people show you more attention than Dan? Did people uh, really know how to care for a grieving father in this case? Because I think I, I can see that with miscarriages, it seems like often the mom gets a lot more comfort, but the dad doesn't. So um, I guess I'm just curious what that looked like for you guys. Uh, I think that we were in a very unique community where we had an incredible amount of support. Um, I think some of the support we found not very helpful, but we also knew that those people cared for us deeply and wanted to encourage us in whatever way they could. Mm -hmm. And some of it was even surprising and and borderline offensive, but at the same Mm -hmm. time, people genuinely cared. Mm -hmm. And we had so many people who cared for us in a meaningful way, like sharing scripture with us, like praying for us. A friend organized this giant event at her house and invited everybody that she could get in contact with that knew us. And they brainstormed all these different ideas to help us from writing on this rocking chair, uh, Mm -hmm. Eleanor's, the the names meaning, Mm -hmm. to um, setting up meals for goodness, I think we had meals for three months straight, if I'm not Mm. totally mistaken. (laughs) Uh, And I mean, people gave sentimental gifts and cards. And one of the things were that they had come up specifically from this get together were to send cards at meaningful dates, like a week Mm. later, two weeks later, a month later, every month, a year later at holidays, somebody would sign up for something and we would get this little card and Mm -hmm. um, people sharing scripture, people praying with us. There were people from church that didn't really know us that walked up and just started crying and saying, we don't know what to say, but can I pray with you? Or can I just give you a hug or whatever? Mm -hmm. And Um, and even I remember with Dan, that one of a, one of the couples who also experienced a stillbirth, um, came over and were super helpful and the husband reached out to him. I do think there's often a lot more, um, attention towards the mom, but I think that we also had so many people in our lives who, Mm love us and checked in on both of us. Yeah, the first month was, I don't want to use the word awesome, but it was pretty, it was pretty unique. Um, My boss was super understanding. He gave me like two weeks off. Then I did like 
half days and then I did like five or six hour days. And so he's like, you know, whenever, whenever you're having a bad day, just stay home. Don't even worry about it. Mm. That was, that was big. Um, you know, actually your husband said anything you need me to do, I'll do it. And, you know, I was like, you know, there's, there is one thing. And he actually <laughs> ended up caulking our tub for us, which is terrible with like home, home, do it yourself, odds and ends type <laughs> stuff. That was a huge help. And um, the meals were awesome. And, and I say it was, you know, unique and awesome because people are coming over your house. You don't have to go anywhere. You get to tell them like about what the Lord has done, mm. uh, that we have this newfound hope that, you know, someday we're not even going to just see our creator, our maker, um, our savior, but we're going to see our, our daughter too, that we haven't had a chance to communicate with. Mm. Like, you know, you're taking something that's as sweet as you can think of and adding, you know, Reese's peanut butter cups and cherries <laughs> on top and so it's like um I don't know it's just like being on the edge of eternity and discussing these things and and like it was awesome for me and then then it started just you know going back to work um mm. and I started to get depressed I was I was probably depressed for like three months mm. after that just nothing felt worthwhile work didn't work wasn't fulfilling um the like people stopped visiting so much there were there people would still check in but just the you know the day-to-day visits weren't weren't there and so it was kind of like okay now what what's what's my purpose and Mm. how do we get through this so Mm. i think uh you know we had like a uh checkup Postpartum, postpartum checkup at mm-hmm. some point. I don't know if it was three months or six, six, six weeks. Mm-hmm. And you know, Christina was there, and she asked us like she asked me specifically. She's she's like Dan. You know, oftentimes the husband gets ignored in these situations. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? And it, you know, I was able to express that, and she she just kind of reiterated like you know you were you're kind of in between life and death, right? Like mm-hmm. you're you're experiencing like the eternal and the temporary kind of simultaneously. And so there is going to be a, a sadness and a, and a maybe longing for what's to come. And so I think that helped like put my grief into, into some words that helped. Mm-hmm. And some of that too, we found that sometimes people assume that you're going to be doing really poorly right away Mm. that with time you're going to get better even if it's a month or two later and Mm. I think there's somewhat of an expectation for it to flow that way and for us it was somewhat reversed at least temporarily and initially it was we kept revisiting that phrase of just feeling like we're living on this brink or verge of life and death Mm. um, or verge of eternity. And it, it was even exciting in a sense, because we, when we first drove home, 
uh, it was hard in the hospital. Uh, it was difficult holding your daughter that you're never going to take mm -hmm. home. And so that was sad and heartbreaking. Um, but at the same time, the hardest moment for me was actually the drive home. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I, we closed the door in the parking garage, I remember I just started weeping uncontrollably. And as we're driving down 490, I am just a complete wreck. I can't talk. Um, I'm like hyperventilating. And um, I remember it was in the middle of the night, obviously, and it was just pouring too. So I remember thinking, oh, this is exactly how I feel. Mm. Um, but um, it was this strange um, feeling of that isn't my daughter. I don't need her body because that's mm. not her. But also feeling this pull as a mother and thinking, I am leaving my child. We, I can't just leave my child in a hospital. We need to go back and get her. And I remember turning to him and eventually somewhat getting some words out and saying, I know this sounds crazy, but I feel like I just want to tell you to turn around and get our daughter. Um, I want to get Eleanor right now. And um, I obviously feel very postpartum. Um, and so it, it feels like I need to go get this child that I just gave birth to. And that obviously wasn't going to happen. And I was very well aware of that as well. Um, but then that very next morning, we, um, continued, I guess, what we even started in the hospital of reading scripture and praying and, and we were crying and we were um, kind of going over all the details that had happened. Uh, but it, it just felt like suddenly life started to make sense again. And suddenly things were important and um, not important, but more meaningful again. And there was a greater depth to life um, mm -hmm. because we are aware that, that this isn't it. Even in our brokenness, this brokenness isn't it. This isn't the end. Mm -hmm. And. But somebody sent us a book. If you're called, out there, let us know. Yeah, <laughs> a symphony in the dark. I don't remember the author's name, but it was kind of like a mother daughter tandem, right? Um, and very similar, very similar story. Uh, to what we experienced except theirs was I think they had a week with mm -hmm. their child mm. kind of in a comatose state I think um, but it was just like the mother's experience and then the mother's mother's experience mm -hmm. kind of going back and forth between them and um, it was it was powerful uh, they pointed they pointed I guess us to Christ in in their suffering, mm. and so it's a good like. I want to say we read it a month, maybe a couple of weeks after this happened, and mm -hmm. so it was all like super fresh and and it burned again. But but it was good to just let the tears flow and mm. um, like 
see how see how they got through it big picture uh, it kind of felt like we were going through something at the same time as these people even though it had been written years mm -hmm. before our loss and it for me even i remember at one point struggling with this concept i don't know if it was a couple of weeks later or something to that effect of there was a human being that died inside of me and i i literally had death happen in me mm -hmm. and that was something i really started to struggle with at one point it wasn't that i was um blaming myself or anything like that but it suddenly felt like i just realized that a life ended mm -hmm. and it felt very morbid. It was really sad. And I remember finding out some friends um, that were pretty close to us uh, had miscarriages that kind of never really talked about them even. Mm -hmm. And it was still this like, oh, people have the same feeling, but this isn't encouraging. Mm -hmm. And then in this book, uh, the mother actually uh, talks about her daughter's grave as a doorway to heaven. And I remember that being just this transformative moment as I read this. And the grandmother actually, I'm going to quote this. And now today is, and now today is our last day, the day of Molly's death, but it is also Molly's coronation day. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, oh my word, this is beautiful. I didn't just have a death happen inside of me. I was a doorway to heaven. Mm -hmm. Our daughter, Eleanor, went from my womb directly into the arms of Jesus. And oftentimes when a parent loses a child, um, especially if they're older, they don't get to be right next to them. Mm -hmm. But I got to hold my child in my womb and then my child went to Jesus. And that mm -hmm. was just very transformative mm. so whoever gave us this book <sighs> very thankful for it <laughs> now you guys have a third child now um was that hard was that like a terrifying process to go through um at any point were you wondering is this going to happen again well it wasn't not planned but it wasn't planned mm happened a lot sooner than we thought it would. And up until then, I actually kind of got stuck in this place of like, I don't want to make any decisions, but not making any decisions also sometimes makes decisions for you. <laughs> and so I was viciously sick one morning. I couldn't get up. I was vomiting, um, super dizzy for hours mm. and stayed home to help me care for our other child. <laughs> and then we found out I was pregnant. Uh, it was one of those, like, let's just check this off the box. I think I have a stomach bug, but I was pregnant and that was, I started crying and not out of happiness. I was terrified and also just not ready. Mm -hmm. um, I had found out I had abdominal separation. I hadn't healed that. And it, I just wasn't ready on any level, but I remember he was sitting there and super happy and I was so happy that he was happy, even though I was miserable. 
And then later that day, I was like, well, I could just be miserable or just deal with this today and kind of get over myself. Um, and somehow this is going to work out. And that's kind of what happened, except for in the first trimester, there were two separate days that I had such severe stomach pains mm -hmm. that they were like timeable and for hours. And so I remember very matter of factly being like, well, we could be having to go to the hospital just so you know. Um, mm. and, the, and it just felt like this very matter of fact statement. I remember one time we were driving and, and I told him that and he's like, okay, and you're okay. Um, just so I know, all right. <laughs> We'll go, we'll go to the hospital if we need to at that point. Um, and nothing happened except for the second prenatal appointment. The first one we heard the third child's heartbeat, totally fine. Um, he seemed to be developing great, um, the whole nine yards. The second appointment I went to by myself. It was probably the only one that he didn't go to. And, oh, he was really sick with something I forget and he stayed home and the midwife couldn't find the heartbeat and it was Christina and I remember feeling so terrible for her and granted the baby's still pretty small I think we were like I don't know towards the end of the first trimester but baby's still pretty small uh and she it felt like a few minutes. It was probably not that long, but she and I are just in that room and she's trying to find this heartbeat. And I remember already starting to plan. Okay. So the next steps are, I call mm -hmm. him, uh, I tell my mom so she can be with our daughter. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just very matter of fact. And then all of a sudden this very faint, tiny heartbeat from a weird corner of my stomach <laughs> came out of nowhere I felt like and we both let out a great sigh of relief mm -hmm. um, but other than that it almost felt like people expected it to be a lot harder for us uh, and I kind of was waiting for that moment of me being terrified or me kind of I don't know spiraling or something um, in my thoughts even, um, but I, I didn't really. Hmm. For me, it changed, it changes my, my language a lot in terms of, mm. um, you know, people say to you, oh, congratulations. And it's like, yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. and so it's like, a That's true. it's just a reserved excitement that, that was created. Mm. It was, you know, I think we did a good job with like talking to all of our kids in the womb. Um, and I still did that with number three mm. and maybe even more. I don't know, but it's, it's mm. like, yeah, you just don't want to set yourself up for this expectation of, okay, you know, number three, we'll, we'll get here, but we don't, you know, to say that we have no assurance of that. Mm. And then, then it's like, well, I don't want to, you know, poop on other people's parades when they have, you know, babies and they're excited. Like, 
I'm not just going to be like, well, you don't know if, mm. if you can actually have them or not. Um, mm. So, and it kind of paralyzed me when mm. when other people would you know, have good news, and it's like, you know, trying to block the thought from coming out of my mouth of like, you don't know, but mm. but yeah, mostly for me, it was like a pauses my my speech. Mm. Yeah, it felt like a very uh unemotional response yeah. uh even the way that we kind of talked about our expectations like mm. i remember a few times we said well we have a 50 50 shot this time and that's not real um <laughs> people don't lose babies that often normally um but for us we mm. knew that the rare things could happen. Um, they happened. And so I didn't meet any risk factors and it was very sudden. And, and so for us, it felt like mm -hmm. well, at any point during this pregnancy, we could lose him or maybe we'll get to keep him. We'll see. And a part of it was also praying, well, Lord, we really don't want to go through this again. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, we know you're faithful. We know you're good. Uh, so if we do, we're not going to hopefully lose hope or, mm. or anything like that. But it definitely gives you a different perspective. How do you guys feel like the gospel or scripture has shaped your view of death? Or maybe a better question would be like, did you view it differently do you view it differently now than you did before? Yes. <laughs> I think for me, for every child, there's been this moment, I guess, that it feels like I understand something about God differently or, or even more. And with Eleanor, I remember even sitting in the hospital and thinking, Eleanor just went to a better place. Mm -hmm. She will never get to experience this kind of brokenness or any sort of brokenness, any kind of sin, any kind of death. Mm -hmm. And we can still love her through losing her mm -hmm. and realizing that God the Father willingly sent his son to die on a cross into a broken world and then he was going to turn his face away. Mm. And I remember thinking that in the hospital and just being very confused and even almost partly frustrated with the whole concept because it just seems so backwards. It is backwards and that shouldn't happen. Uh, but I think that that speaks to just how deeply God loves us. He loves us so much that we can't even comprehend the fullness of his love. He loves us so much that he made a choice that we would never actually make. I would never have chosen to give away my daughter, even knowing that she went into eternity. I am happy about that now on the other side of it, uh, but I wouldn't have chosen it and, and chosen it for his enemies. It wasn't mm -hmm. 
even to save someone out of, I don't know, who's a decent person or something. And, and so I just remember that really blowing me away. And I remember writing uh, and thinking through this whole time about the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God specifically. And my thoughts and that whole grieving period, and even now, uh, continue to be comforted by the fact that God is sovereign and God is good. Mm. And in Ephesians 1 11, uh, in him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Mm. Da, da, da. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Mm -hmm. And just realizing that God isn't a chaotic God. He's not one to just allow all this stuff to happen and everything's kind of spiraling out of control. But it was incredibly comforting to me to know that God is good. And mm -hmm. Nehemiah 1-7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, mm -hmm. it, it was one of those things where it's easy to take God's gifts and God's, um, or what we perceive as God's blessings uh, so freely, but at the same time, it's a lot harder to take those things that are, that taste a lot more bitter. Mm -hmm. And knowing that God has been faithful and good so many times, um, according to scripture and in our lives, definitely helped and continue to help um, in viewing him in his sovereignty and goodness. Mm. I think early on, I asked you, you Slava, uh, you know, what assurance do we have that our child is in heaven? Mm. What, where, where in scripture does it say, you know, uh, child that's passed will be with the Lord and and I don't think it says it exactly but I, I think you reminded me of the story of, of King David and second mm -hmm. Samuel maybe and how his his son passes away and he's like before he dies he's kind of weeping and fasting and in mourning and then then after he finds out he dies he kind of comes out like washes his face mm -hmm. And people are like, what's going on? And he kind of responds like, I'll go to see him. Mm -hmm. That that was a nice comfort to know that like, you know, this, I think as Paul says it, like our struggles are light and momentary. So the, however long that the Lord has ordained us to live here on earth, you know, whether it's 90 years, whether it's 30 years, like it's kind of, it's kind of short. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm almost 40 and it feels pretty quick already. So it's it won't be long before we see um, before we see Eleanor. And so so either even though death is has a permanence here on earth, it's it's just temporary. Mm -hmm. Sure, at least 
for those of us who are in Christ. Mm -hmm. Dan's coworker, who also lost a baby at one point uh, many years ago now, told him, welcome to the club you never wanted to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And I remember we kind of talked about that for a while. And it's this weird place of always feeling like something's missing. Um, there is something missing at the dinner table. There is something missing in the Christmas card. There is something missing in just in the gap of our kids, but knowing that I was pregnant a lot more in that space and time. And so if we just focus on that, I think that that can lend to hopelessness. I think it can um, lead to a deeper sadness. And at the same time, um, we believe that God gifted us Eleanor. I think he reminded us of his love for us, even through that experience. And, and he gave her life to us for nine months and we got to, uh, enjoy her. Not that I love being pregnant, but, um, even seeing our toddler at the time play with my belly and feel mm -hmm. our kicking and moving. And I love how in James 117, it says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And I just think God gave us Eleanor for an entire healthy pregnancy. Some people have to suffer loss a lot sooner. Some people have to even suffer loss in the sense they know that they won't get to keep their baby. Um, so they can't enjoy it maybe in the same way. Uh, but we were able to even see her after she was born and we were able to hold her and um, get to enjoy even her physical body. And I know that we've been really thankful for that. Mm. I, I just thought of something from one of your previous questions, you know, about our third child. And it's, it's really bizarre because like with the timing, with the age, you know, if, she, if she was born, he actually might not be here because of mm -hmm. um, nursing and how that's kind of like a natural, um, I don't know what you call it, pregnancy inhibitor. Which one would I rather have or which one like, you know, should we have or whatever, you know, right. it's just thinking about it too much can, can mess with your mind. Mm -hmm. um, but like, yeah. Uh, even even now it's kind of like cat's got my tongue. I don't know. I don't mm. know Wayne, like how weird it is. Because mm. mm. we we love you know we love number three, mm. uh, and and it's hard to imagine life without him. Mm. We're thankful that we didn't have to make that decision. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Mm. And it is weird with grief. Uh, C.S. Lewis in Grief Observed, or A Grief Observed, mm -hmm. uh, says, for in grief, nothing stays put. One keeps on emerging from one, from a phase, but always, re but it always reoccurs. 
round and round, everything repeats. Am I going in circles or dare I hope I am on a spiral? But if it's a spiral, am I going up or down it? How often will it be for always? How often will the vast emptiness astonish me like a complete novelty and make me say, I never realized my loss till this moment. The same leg is cut off time after time. And it's weird because sometimes we have these conversations of whether it be our number three wouldn't be here or um, suddenly something just out of the blue reminds us of Eleanor or uh, even over the last few months, uh, number three, ironically, started to really love seeing pictures of Eleanor. Mm -hmm. And he obviously wasn't even here, but now has this interest. And, mm. and it's just this weird place of, oh, I think I'm totally fine. And I haven't cried in months and months or a year. And then suddenly you're like, oh, now I'm sobbing. Mm. And I thought I was over this point. But yeah, I think it just speaks to oftentimes grief isn't isn't necessarily what people expect in general, but is also very different from person to person and time to time. Mm -hmm. Well, I know we're coming up on the end of our time, guys, so I don't want to keep you for the whole night. But before we wrap up, is there anything that you would say to families who are grieving or those who are caring for those who are grieving? Any thoughts about that? Well, there's always somebody else that's gone through it before you have. Um, so no matter what grief you go through, isolation isn't the answer. Mm -hmm. Escaping from people isn't the answer. Mm -hmm. We have to be connected so that we can allow others to love us, be loved by them, um, be prayed for. And I think, uh, I think it's like first Corinthians one, just how like, God kind of allows these things to happen so that we can kind of comfort others. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> when they go through them, so, so I think in that it's kind of built in that, you know, people are going to experience what you've, what you've experienced. You might have to search far and wide for them in, in some circumstances, but um, people are out there who've experienced it. Mm -hmm. So with that said, you're not alone. And I think that, it's important to say something, even if it comes out wrong. Uh, I just got together with a good friend of mine and she's experiencing a deep loss. She lost her mother. And, and one of the things that we agreed on was that the most meaningful and most encouraging things that were done were when something was done, even if it wasn't done perfectly. And I think that the most hurtful things are if somebody sees you and they suddenly were walking towards you and then just turn away in a flash. And I think especially as believers, when we try to avoid not just uncomfortable situations, but times where we can encourage one another, times when we can even encourage one another through, through death. Um, I mean, God didn't shy away from death. He sent his son to die. That was the entire purpose to die and to rise again. Mm 
mm-hmm. so that we can have new life. And if we avoid talking about death, if we act like it's something that is completely terrible and that there is nothing good of it, then I think that it makes us no different from anyone else. And it's not going to encourage anyone. Mm-hmm. I think that it's just going to make us more fearful of something that God already took care of and we shouldn't fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And crying out to the Lord is, is obviously the, the biggest key because he's a, a shield and a refuge and a strong tower. And we have to run to him in our trouble because we need him and, and he can support us more than anybody else mm. can. And he, you know, he may use other people to help us grieve and help us repair and recover. Um, but, but we have to be connected to him too. Mm-hmm. Um, really quick, I really like this quote from C.S. Lewis again. Um, this is from The Great Divorce. Mm-hmm. Some mortals say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards and turn even that agony into a glory. And I think that's so beautiful because I think that as believers, especially we want to eventually be in heaven with our savior. Mm -hmm. And I think that all of these opportunities to grieve well together and to turn to our father who deeply knows and cares for us is I think it can change the course of our grieving Mm. and yeah. Mm. Well, Slava and Dan, thank you guys so much for coming on this podcast. I am so honored that you took your night to share your story and Eleanor's story and I'm so thankful to be a sister in Christ to both of you, and especially thankful that we get to be in the same local family. I'm I'm so thankful for you guys and your faithfulness. And as someone who stood on the outside looking in, I mean, I remember that day when Eleanor passed. I remember the grieving that happened on staff at church, and all of us were just weeping for you guys and praying and Now to just watch how the Lord has worked his faithfulness and grace in your lives. It's such a beautiful thing. And um, you're just like trophies of his grace. And it's beautiful. So thank you for your honesty and openness. And thanks for coming on. Good enough. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Good Enough. For more information about today's episode, check out the show notes where I try to post links to my guests' information, any books we discuss, any podcasts we reference, and so much more. As always, if you need to reach me, you can email andrea at graceroadchurch.org. Good Enough is a resource of Grace Road Church in Rochester, New York, and I'm so happy to serve you through this podcast. Keep listening, leave a comment or a review, let me know you're here, and say hi. I think that was good enough.